from the land of adventure and diversity. These are the stories of extraordinary Africans, only on Faces of Africa. Astounding natural beauty, rich history, edgy culture, two oceans. This could only be Cape Town, South Africa. The mother city as it's known, and we're here to find its most famous adopted son, which shouldn't be hard, as his name or image can be found almost everywhere. It's on the road signs, in the art, it's even on the tips of tourists' tongues. Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela. Of course, Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela is now very much a part of the local tourist circuit. Why? The way he um, achieved reconciliation just seemed like magnificent, you know, when you're expecting a bloodbath. But there must be more to it. Maybe it's what's been called the Madiba magic. We've come to find out. Mandela spent almost three decades in jails around Cape Town until his release from these prison gates in 1990. Now, 22 years later, South Africa is a country proud of its progress. But while the Cape Town of today paints a pretty picture, it's not all so rosy. What you see is still the, the, the townships and the white people are here and the black people are in the townships and uh, so from, for, for us the tourists when you come here it's still very strange to see like people living in huts uh, and other people have a lot of money. Take a short trip out of the city centre and the landscape changes. It's bleaker, the horizon hazy, the future less certain. Yes, Mandela did bring better changes, you see. But only for then. But for now, I don't feel any changes because I'm only on that, only, only this, uh, uh, what do you call this? Generation, you see, yeah. If I was there, yeah, I would say, okay, Mandela bring some changes, you see. For now, I don't see any changes since I grew up, you see. Which raises questions. Has freedom from the injustices of apartheid come at the price of real transformation? Did Mandela and the leadership of the ANC compromise too much? And what is it about Nelson Mandela that allowed him to help lead the nation away from almost certain civil war? To find out, we'll start by taking a short journey from Cape Town. We're on a boat that was once used to ferry prisoners to and from the notorious Robben Island. 
he was down in later stage, he must be, he was sitting here because they struggled to get down with the handcuffs and chains. The prison warder will sit here and we will put the elderly prisoners here. That was also close, but otherwise he was younger prisoners, we will take him down to the bottom. And then there was the warders were sitting here, guard this side and that side. And they will be locked in the bottom. We are following Christo Brandt, a former warden at the notorious Robben Island prison. Brandt is joining fellow commuters, who take the boat out to the island on a daily basis. Robben Island lies at the centre of Table Bay. The island is a low-lying rock. And although a lighthouse serves to keep ships away, many have been wrecked along its shores. The Dutch name, Robben, refers to the seals that abound in the freezing waters cold enough to dissuade most people from swimming the seven or so miles to the mainland. Used for almost 400 years to house political prisoners from as far away as Indonesia, Robben Island has been, above all, a place of exile. This was a place for always for banishment. Dan Fribi came here with the slaves to build the castle, to work in the quarries here. Then after that was also because the chiefs was imprisoned here and all that. Then the military takeover, the people was also against their will on Robben Island. Then after the, the prison service takeover, also against the will about the people which was kept in prison, incarcerated here. 18 years after Robben Island's Robin prison was officially closed, Brunt is back, this time to provide services to tourists. We decided to open a duck shop at the back of the island was one of the old buildings, which was a clubhouse. We opened a tuck shop there and it's worked quite, quite well. Now I'm in charge of the tuck shop at the back of the island, the village shop and on the boat we've got a small kiosk. During high season, hundreds of tourists flock to the island daily. For much of the last century, this notorious jail held most of the leadership of the African National Congress, or ANC, and other opposition parties like the Pan-African Congress. Its leader, Robert Sabukwe, was kept in isolation on the island for nine years. But for most visitors, the big drawcard is Nelson Mandela. Some of the ex-prisoners are back on the island, working as tour guides. South Africa may have moved on, but what they endured on the island still seems very real to them. That time I was very young. I said, well, we have to revenge. But our leadership told us not to revenge, because if we are revenging, there will be an ongoing war here in South Africa. Telling their stories to visitors can help heal some of the wounds. 
it's difficult, yes, of course, you know, by coming to work where you're incarcerated, where you spend, you know, years in here in this prison, it's very difficult. But at the same time, you know, it, it helps us a lot because, you know, some of us, after being released, we are never cancelled. could not see those, you know, those uh, psychologists, you know, to cancel, to talk about our experience in prison and also how we got arrested, how we were tortured. We didn't, you know, uh, uh, talk to people about that. Even some of our family members could not discuss those things. But, uh, you know, coming to work here in Robben Island, it helped us a lot because you could find people, maybe there's a group of people you have to talk about, they'll ask you questions. You will tell them everything about your prison experience, how you got arrested, tortured, how you were involved in the struggle against apartheid. And by doing that, by talking about that, that, you know, make, make you feel much better. You know, it, you know, it's like a therapy, you know, it, it helps you. They didn't take us immediately back to... Ahmed Kathrada was jailed on the island alongside Nelson Mandela after being sentenced to life imprisonment for treason at what became known as the Rivonia trial. On the night of our sentence, uh, they suddenly woke us up, I think midnight, tell, told us to get dressed and we are going. They didn't tell us where, but we, we guessed it would be Roman Island. Uh, handcuffed us, leg irons, taken to the military airport, put on the plane and the next morning we land on Robben Island on this very cold winter's day. Mandela and his co-accused had chosen to wage an armed struggle against the apartheid government. Mandela was the armed wing's commander. It is useless and futile for us to continue talking peace and non-violence against a government whose reply is only savage attacks on an unarmed and defenseless people. The armed struggle was an additional pressure to force the enemy to the negotiating table. It was never envisaged that with the armed struggle there'll be a military victory. Never envisaged that. It was an additional pressure. Now, when we were already involved in the activities that eventually led us to the Rivonia trial. Already at that time we knew what the consequences could be, namely the maximum penalty was death. So uh, all of us who were involved in that were arrested and, and, and we already knew what the consequences could be. This is the eternal flame of freedom to symbolize the adoption of our constitution on its 15th anniversary. And here is the, here is some of our history of claims. You'll see that there was an Afri a demand for the African Bill of Rights. Then there was a, a claim for, this one is here, a demand for full citizenship and rights, abolition of political discrimination based on race, the right to equal justice, freedom of residence and appeal of what was in effect the past laws, freedom of movement, and equal share in all the resources of the country. These are the founding members of the ANC. Arthur Chaskelson later became the first president of the Constitutional Court. At the trial, Mandela and his co-accused chose an unconventional defense that effectively put apartheid on trial. 
the whole case was run on the basis that apartheid was evil and that this was a justifiable uh, response and that uh, it's even if you, you see it in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that uh, people are entitled to revolt against uh, unjust regimes and that was the basis of the, of the whole defence. So it was a very positive and strong defence. When he got to the very end, <coughs> this is how he concluded and when he finished up by saying if needs be, it's an ideal for which I'm prepared to die. There was an absolute silence in the court. It was a silence, a silence you could actually hear the silence. It was so tangible. The courts became a political platforms for, for us all who, who were political. When you go into the witness box, you proclaim your political beliefs. Which is what Mandela did. His speech proclaimed the beliefs of the ANC and the demands of a people for fair treatment to the world. I think that the, his whole speech did have an amazing influence because it got very wide publicity outside of the country. It was uh, circulated everywhere uh, and everybody knew about it. And it, it, it really was, I think, a turning point. Uh, although there, there continued to be a hostility among some Western countries. The statement may have drawn international attention to the evils of apartheid, but for Mandela and his co-accused, the least sentence they could expect was life in prison, which is what they got. The guilty verdict meant that, as in some Western countries, white South Africans now viewed Mandela and his colleagues as terrorists. From the land of adventure and diversity, come tales of survival, success and ingenuity. These are the stories of extraordinary Africans, only on Faces of Africa. I asked the sergeant one day, what is this criminal's info? Because I said, uh, life imprisonment and 15 years and 18 years, and he said, man, that's a terrorist who tried to overthrow our country. Immediately I have got a hating to myself, because I never know Mandela's and all when I arrived on Robin Island. I came from a farm community. I have a hate towards myself, towards these guys, because that's the guys who killed my friends on the border. Despite trying to hate these so-called terrorists, Christo Brunt found himself empathizing with the prisoners. I opened the cells and one night early we visit there, and I see the old people sleeping on the floor, but looked quite uncomfortable. So I feel sorry for them in a way. But Brandt, like millions of other white South Africans, was still blinded by racial bigotry. I think the situation in the country, the white people was not informed. They was not knowing what was really going on. What is this black guys fighting for? They was thinking they fight to take over the country, chase the white people in the sea. They never thought of the ideas which Mandela had when he was prepared to die for the freedom of everybody in this country. We can be civilized and walk around and be free. The prison may look glossy now, but the realities of life on Robben Island were harsh. There's an explosion of memory when you're alone. You'd be amazed when I try to think of all those things I remembered at that time. I can't do it anymore. But explosion of memory about political songs, um, Kevin Berry in, in the Irish struggle, uh, Tagore in the Indian struggle, suppose, and you repeat that 
all the time and your own struggle naturally and that keeps uh, your, your spirit up. The white wardens were determined to belittle their prisoners and to break their spirit. Kovan Mbeki, 20 years my senior, Sasulu, 18 years my senior, Madiba, 11 years my senior. I'm the youngest at 34, youngest not on Robben Island, but youngest of the, of the seven. Uh, I'm, I've got long trousers and socks. My colleagues, my elders, my leaders, short trousers, no socks. The rationale, of course, is all Africans, regardless of age, are boys or girls, and boys wear short trousers. Mandela, who had boxed for much of his life until he was jailed, displayed a strength of body and spirit in prison. But there was more to this man, something that many have since come to call the Madiba magic. In the sections where we stayed, there were no flush toilets. There were these buckets. And there was a time in the 60, 65, 66, I suppose, or maybe, maybe a bit later, uh, when all of us were down with flu, except Madiba. You know, he was a gymnast and a boxer, and he was strong. And there were a handful of others, about two or three others, who had come freshly, and they were not affected by the flu. The rest of us were down. We couldn't get up. Madiba and those two or, two or three chaps, every morning, used to come from cell to cell, pick up our buckets, empty them, uh, wash them, put them in the sun. Now people get surprised. Here's Mandela. Why is he carrying buckets? But it came naturally to him, you know. He didn't have to, to, to prepare for it. One of the worst deprivations for the political prisoners on Robben Island was the loss of family ties. Access to information was tightly controlled and letters often failed to arrive. This is a tension. I start the great-grandchildren. Although they've grown in number, this one here is my son and my nephew, uh, niece, the one that died in a car accident, horrific car accident in 2010, this is my daughter. And of course, this was my daughter. She hates this picture. <laughs> my uncle, Uncle Mahatu, that died of AIDS-related thing in uh, 2005. This is Khundu, my dearest first wife. That's the person that the person that you see standing right in front of you here was formed by this woman. She was, she was really a formidable woman. Uh, I can, I, like I said, I need to write a book. I can tell you stories. We'll sit there the whole day about Indeleka Mandela is the daughter of Nelson Mandela's much-loved first son, Madiba Tembekile, killed in a car crash at the age of 24. And of course, the famous picture of, of granddad and dad. The apartheid authorities refused to allow Mandela to attend the funeral. The system was so repressive that they couldn't even allow my grandfather basic human dignity of saying goodbye to your beloved. I think that's, that's just, just really cruel and mean. 
from the land of adventure and diversity come tales of survival, success and ingenuity. These are the stories of extraordinary Africans, only on Faces of Africa. While Mandela has typically made light of the trials of imprisonment, many of the inmates of this prison helped shape today's South Africa. You have here assembled men and women, some of whom are hardly known, even to other prisoners who are here. These are men and women who have made our history and who have brought about these changes. It wasn't just the married prisoners who suffered. I didn't have my children, any children. And uh, it was in 1983, I think, yeah, 20 years, that I held, I saw a child for the first time after 20 years. There were some familial visits, however, as long as the family members visiting were over 16. Indeleka Mandela remembers her first time to the island. I was due to go and see him for two, two days, you know. And the next day when I went, I, I missed my boat. And I was crying at, at the docks, you know, that I had missed my boat, I couldn't see him. And then, of course, Granite had, you know, generously reapplied for me to come and see him. So I went in during the week to go in and visit him. And it was really a, a bittersweet memory because that was the first instance I had just laid my eyes on this person that was that would, you know, I put a face to this person that would write all these letters to me, talking about school and talk, telling me about how much he loved me and, and things like that. Then, one day, something happened, which would change the warden, Christo Brandt, forever. There was one occasion when, uh, I think one of Madiba's uh, daughters must have brought a baby with, and. On that occasion, the warder relented at the visit and allowed him to hold the baby. Now, that made a tremendous impact on him. You know, he couldn't speak about it there because that water would have been in trouble. When he just picked up the baby, and I said, Ma'am, can I hold this baby for you? I never touch a black child. She pushed it in my arms. She said, Mr. Brown, please show my husband. She opened a purse, a handbag, take a purse out to pay me. I said, Ma'am, no, I can't take money from you. I'm not allowed to show him the child. Just go back in the visiting box, Mandela want to see you for one minute. And when she's in the visiting box, I locked her in and Mandela passed his message on. And I come through the middle door out. And um, when the warrant officer tell him, Mandela, your visit is finished, he said, darling, I must go. And he see me in the passage. And he walked straight to me and he come, take the baby out of my arms. He kissed the baby twice on the cheek, got some tears in his eyes. He was quite emotional at that time. And then I take the baby back with Winnie knock on the door take the baby for winning. She's still begging me, please, Mr. Brown, show me the child. When she arrived in the mainland, she told the media in the press that she had smuggled the baby to Roman Island, but not be able to show Mandela on a distance. And then from that moment, he just take my hand and thank me. He never say thank you, just thanks. That's all he said. He never talk about it. I didn't even try to warn him. He mustn't tell other prisoners. He keep it quiet till one day we work in parliament. Then he bring it up and say to the people, you know this guy, that is my important prison water. He was the one who smuggled the baby from Robin Hood. Then he opened it up because he's a president. But from that moment when I show him the baby, 
<coughs> there was a feeling in my, I can't believe that the old person is hungry for children. Normally when adults is talking, they try to chase the children away, go and play outside, we are talking. But here he is so hungry for children, it was something strange for me. And uh, from that moment I feel a little bit more towards them, I try to assist them. If a letter has been thrown away and burnt, I tell him and there was a letter from Helen Schusman or whoever, so we become close friends. It was two years ago when I was with him, where I was invited for this, was documentary to everything they do, that was for all afternoon we was with the old man. And then he called me and I sat with him and then he explained me and here was I talking to him and I asked him a lot of questions, how he feel after 21 years of freedom, did he ever thought about it? because the media asked me, I must ask him a lot of questions. And then after that I was also visiting him twice with my whole family in Cape Town. I was expecting to go soon again now this year, but I'm not sure when I will go now. My son started working in Robben Island here. And after a contract of Robin Allen's finished with the thing and then he died, died in a car accident. And Mandela was there, contact me and condolences. And because you know how it feels to lose the son, you know. To this day, Christo Brandt believes that Nelson Mandela's strong idealism and personal morality is largely responsible for the peaceful transition in South Africa. He is not the only one. Madiba had something, he, he was just like, I, I can compare him like Jesus Christ. He was being sent by, by, by God to come and rescue the world, actually Africa as a whole. Because he didn't fight for only South Africa, he fought for the whole Africa.